Good evening, everyone. Uh, this is Skinny E Media here to present you yet another brilliant podcast, BBC, BBFC versus MPAA. But this time we're doing it a little bit differently. We're going to be talking about music. Yep, you heard it. Either be it songs or the music videos that go along with it and the controversies that followed alongside it as well. And here we have uh, Bobatron, a.k.a. Rob Bavister. Hey, hey. How do you do? Oh, I'm um, good. How are you? I'm all right myself. Certainly you got me at the right time there. This one's going to be a little bit more unusual because the subject matter is not necessarily related to films. But if you want to include musicals uh, or, you know, music-based films like Pink Floyd's The Wall or Metallica's uh, Through the Never, you're more than welcome to. But uh, what is your experience with music censorship? I mean, you well, often hear like the bleeps and stuff and you know, they will cut a well, bit out. Well, that's uh, that, that's uh, shooting fish in a barrel. That's low-hanging fruit to start off right now. I mean, I think we need to deal with the elephant in the room. And, of course, that is the PMRC. Parents. Um, music music Resource, Resource Centre, yeah. We have Tip, uh, hosted, founded or spearheaded by Tipper Gore in the 80s. You're absolutely Which, right. Um, we had a, know... She had a... Oh, sorry, yeah, I just want—I just want to acknowledge, but I need got, got a fair bit to uh, get through because she had, she had a filthy fifteen. I can't remember all of them, but there was uh, wasps, animal, fuck you like a beast, and um, twisted sisters under the blade. Um, I, of course, I'm a big heavy metal fan. I know, Mark, you're not you're more into electronic or anything, but both these types of music some have been uh, had had the senses knickers in a twist and everything had the moral, moral guardians uh, clutching their pearls for quite a few decades now as uh, as I'm certain you're aware I uh, yes uh, well they've been finding ways to clamp down on metal music as well probably even a little more so hip hop and R&B and uh, other pop genres more or less um, Madonna they- Madonna rub- Madonna rubbed them a bit the wrong way at times due to her rather um, quote-unquote blasphemous imagery in her Like a Prayer video. Oh, yes, yeah, so definitely. I, I know some people really got in a tizzy about that because the mix of religion and race in the, but, yeah. um, but, the video in question. Yeah, and but the point is... I wanted to get through... Sorry. No, uh, go ahead. All right. Well, the point I want to get to is PMRC thing because it is quite funny. Because... Uh, D. Snyder of Twisted Sister. Uh, I take it you are familiar with Twisted Sister, I'm correct? I've heard of some of their songs. Um, it's been so long ago. Well, they are uh, an old-fashioned band. I don't think... Well, I think they split up ages ago and these have been going solo. But anyway, he was called in front of Congress, or the Senate, I can't remember which, in America, uh, to testify on behalf, uh, on behalf of the music industry and the music artists. And most of the other artists who went in, like Frank Zappa and whatnot, did actually make an effort to dress up. But he just didn't. He came in dressed up in his stage wear, like with his skin to, with his skin tight jeans, his denim jacket, his big tussled hair, his concert t-shirt, and instead of makeup on from previous night's uh, gig he'd been playing, and he just went in there with a little speech he had written, he'd like uh, written down on a note and had in his pocket, and he just tore their freaking argument apart. I mean. The song he's defending, Under the Blade, is, and I think you can tell it from its title, clearly about surgery. And it, he wrote it about the throat surgery that their band's guitarist was going, 
was going in for and a fear it was instilling in him. Tipper Gore thought it was about sadomasochism. And when um uh when Dee Snyder explained that it was clearly about surgery, Al Gore, who was there as well, asked them basically, is it at all possible that it could be misinterpreted as sadomasochism? And uh, Snyder basically said, well, there's a level of subjectivity in, in these lyrics, depending on who's reading them and who's listening. Obviously, Tipper Gore had sadomasochism on her mind when she was reading the lyrics, and that's what she read about. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, it's just awesome how he just threw the accusations back at him to say, yeah, Tipper Gore's got a dirty mind. What can I say? I would say the ones who often like to put the finger at um, the musicians or the artists for alleged materials or whatnot probably have certain inclinations themselves. One could argue people who go on about the LGBT agenda probably are themselves a bit homosexual to begin with, but um, well, they won't openly admit there's it. Old kin- well, the old canard, like the closeted homophobe and everything. You, you could say that about anything. I mean, just like... Uh, outward homophobes watch a lot of gay porn outward racists probably watch a lot of interracial porn but that's not what we're here to discuss we're here to discuss music i've had a um i've said quite a bit for what i wanted to say so over to you mark well in my experience with um music censorship be it the songs and music videos in question was mostly through mtv um now as we talked on on the side i know you didn't really have it growing up but um i started watching it a lot of times because I, I like a lot of the videos in question but there are certain ones that i could really see growing up that everyone else could and they talked about the schools and whatnot like prodigy smacked my bitch up and um Jack, bjork, i love you which was on her album post and i'm a big fan of bjork but there was for some reason that was one particular scene which involves her ripping a chicken in half and it was animated and it also shows uh, sort of like cartoon bouncing boobs, although it's done like in sort of bubble sort of form, which uh, in a way is a bit unusual, a bit weird. That's probably where I get a bit of my weird kinks from. But actually, I think it was a funny thing. But yeah, I couldn't see that growing up. I couldn't even see um, Duran Duran's Girls on Film until I accidentally saw it at uh, 13. It was on FHM Music TV, which aired on at night after QTV. They show all the nudity and whatnot and stuff. And I thought, okay, oh, I hope they don't know I'm watching this now. And then, obviously, um, we all know about the PMRC or RIAA uh, classifications that they always put on CDs and vinyls. Parental advisory, no, no. explicit lyrics. Now, which, sell, which do more to sell for them. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. I would say it does more to help the artist than it does to hurt it. Unless yeah. um, you're Dixie Chicks. Well, well, yeah, I mean, in a, in a flip side, because they were criticized for, you know, speaking up against George Bush. Well, yeah. And it destroyed oh, their career. Yeah. I mean, during the early 2000s, when new metal was at its peak and everything, which is uh, a genre of music I was very fond with, probably had most influential me. Of course, I love new free- metal too. Yeah, well, fair enough. I mean, uh, I reckon that's, that's good. I reckon it's the contrary to what people said at the time. I reckon it has to test time. But the three biggest bands at the time were Limp Biscuit, Linkin Park, and Slipknot. And of course, when I saw like the um, uh, Linkin Park's hybrid theory, I noticed it was missing a parental advisory sticker. So I was like, what the fuck? It's like, because obviously Limp Bizkit and Slipknot clearly had it on there and they just reveled in that shit. I mean, 
I, I have you heard Limp Biscuit's Chocolate Starfish album? I never owned it, but I did get the library one time because I like the crazy album cover. It also had Rolling and a few other songs on it. I I, I love a lot of. Uh, let me. I'll put it bluntly. Fred Durst is the funniest rapper that isn't a rapper I've ever heard aside from Mike Skinner. Rapper yes. in, in inverted quotes, I would say. He's not a good rapper, but um, I think that's fair to say that. Well, it's, you know, new metal, for anyone who's curious, and it's a lot younger than us, it mixes sort of hip-hop elements with uh, rock and metal music to create something that's a bit, how do I put it, edgy and postmodern. It has to be of a certain, you have to be of a certain generation to appreciate. People who grew up in the 90s and early 2000s will certainly know that sort of sound there. And they put like the weird mm. scratches and turntables and then put in the loud guitars and whatnot. Rage Against Machine did this first off and then Faith No More and then Limp Biscuit would toy around with it and make it more commercial in the head oh, dude, you're never going back you're never going back oh, stop it, fuck it. Oh, you get fucked up that's, sorry that's my impersonation well he is quite out personally but on his um, on the, that Chocolate Starfish which is probably the album that sent new metal into the stratosphere yeah. Uh, the opening, well, it's not opening track. The first song, "Hot Dog," I mean, just has I think like forty-eight uses of of fuck in it, which of course just had as a teenager at the time being, he just thought was awesome. Oh no, I, I would say that too. Well, me growing up, I actually was never penalised for listening to Criminal Advisory albums. Uh, you know, I've heard Papa Roach and uh, Public Enemy and N.W.A. and all those like as young as seven or six they didn't bleep out the f bits when i listened to it on tape in my father's car i just heard it as it was intended so i never had the stigma with music as song-wise as i did with films or tv but yes and also in question that's chocolate starfish album was quite funny but a bit outre because of um you know implies anus that's well, what the top charfish reference is supposed to be. And also Limp Biscuit, for anyone who's curious, is slang for people who jism or cum inside a biscuit and then toss it around with it as if they're like sticking up some woman's vagina. I think it's who it, I think it's I always thought it was like several guys sat in a circle wanking onto a biscuit, and whoever's last to the cum has to eat the biscuit. It's amazing how flip how just casually I just talk about that. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, uh, you know, we're going to have a parental advisory warning in of itself, very strong language, adult themes, uh, for the video and podcast in question. But, you know... It goes about saying, really, we're talking about, we are talking about censorship. We are going to cover some issues that are going to, you know, people get the censors in a tizzy. So it kind of, it's un- kind of unavoidable, really, at the end of the day, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of people get into uh, uproar about certain songs and music videos and even the album covers in question. Now, the one that comes into mind, now I'm going to sort of uh, compartmentalize it a little bit here because um, I know we don't share the same taste in genres. But are you familiar with Aphex Twin? I've heard of them. I don't know anything by them, but I I've, I do sound like one of those, um, those hardcore uh, electronica dub maybe dubstep uh, uh groups that you know probably do get the uh sensors knickers and a twist so hey they're all good in my book 
Well, um, Electronic is some more or less faceless. Um, it doesn't have quite the profile that uh, rock, metal, or hip-hop artists tend to have, but um, Aphex was certainly controversial back in my day, mainly because of um, certain music videos that he did, like Window Liquor and Come to Daddy, which have um, a somewhat... Well, Come to Daddy has a bit of an industrial or metal vibe about it, um, but it's also very um, disturbing. The music video uh, has... Um, evil children destroying stuff they filmed it around the same part that they also filmed bits of clockwork orange and he come and there's a monster that comes out of a tv screen and terrorizes an old lady with her fish dinner um screaming at, at the top of his lungs and there's all these weird transmorphications of his face on the television it just was some sort of surrealist nightmare and then window liquor superimposed uh woman's faces with aphex twins face richard d james to make it disturbing and creepy. And also, the opening bit of that music video, if you see it uncut, also has quite a lot of swearing and ethnic slurs. And this is okay, all played well, for laughs. Okay, well, the ethnic slurs do kind of aren't very cool, in my, in my opinion. Uh, but sometimes I guess that's what people do. Of course, I was never into much uh, electronic music and everything. My older brothers were. I mean, during the 90s, they were into all that happy, hardcore, dreamscape stuff during... That was uh, rave music, as we knew it as. Uh, <clears throat> don't know if you've ever been familiar with that. Oh, hell I mean, yeah, I am. Um, my, my mother um, grew me up on Acid House and um, Jungle. That was the yeah, well, first music I listened to as a child, yeah. like Alternate and some of the early Prodigy and have, SL2 stuff. Oh, yeah. Have you seen the film Human Traffic? Yep. Um, actually, I remember getting it on DVD one time. Um, I, I prefer Train Spotting a little bit more, but I actually like that movie. It's set up in uh, Canberra or Wales, weirdly enough. Yeah, Cardiff. Uh, Even though Danny Dye doesn't do a single, make a slight attempt to do a Cardiff a Welsh accent, just sounds like a Cockney geezer again. Yeah, no, he, he's always like that. He's saying the same thing. Look at me, I'm Danny Dye, I'm a geezer, I'm a geezer. Fuck off, you. Not gonna, not, I, I'm not going to lie, though. Watching the film while sober is always quite trying. <laughs> because you, you see them just getting absolutely fucked up on everything under the sun. It's like, God, give me some. Um, well, make you want to take E. And I know that was a, a big thing back in the day to where they put the criminal justice bill crack down on young people taking acid and ecstasy at raves. Yeah. And that caused an uproar. Well, I mean, I don't listen to music while high. Um, I don't even listen it while drunk. I, I just like listening for the melodies. That's how I get my high from. And it's legal. You won't have to do a year or two in prison for it. <laughs> well, I think but, you do it a bit behind the doors. I mean, I've listened to a lot of music while stoned out my brains. Uh, and it does make you appreciate it a bit more. But, you know, my, my, my brother was always going into uh, going to Bristol to go see, go do all this raving and go see all these DJs, probably like Slip Matt or DJ Psy or Hi DJ Hype, Mickey Finn, whoever. And he'd come back uh, like on his what hour in the, um, on a Friday night off his fucking tits on XC, I think. Um, but no, of course, all that shit got, um, got everyone, uh, got the, the sensors and a tizzy and everything. I think Prodigies and their Smack My Bitch Up was um, part, uh, very much a crucial part of that sort of culture, which uh, had had all the uh, tabloids and the Daily Mail and a tizzy during the 90s, bearing in mind Mary Whitehouse was still alive. And of course, the story of Leah Betts and everything. I'm not too uh, familiar with the Leah Betts one, but I am familiar with the Prodigy stories because 
Smack My Bitch Up was very controversial and it had a music video filmed in first person perspective depicting you would assume it was a man committing all these acts of violence and sex and orgies and drug use and hooliganism but it actually turns out it's a woman in, at the very end. Sorry to give any spoilers there but um, it was banned on MTV or at least they shown it very late at night. I couldn't see it growing up. I certainly knew what it was. Um, I mostly just heard the song in question, which they actually featured in some 12 certificate films or a 15 certificate film. I think it was like on Charlie's Angels. I was like, you what? Yeah, well, the actual the actual lyrics to the actual uh, song, how many times did I say actual in that sentence? Uh, <clears throat> probably aren't that, uh, aren't that uh, controversial. It's not like they're dropping a million F-bombs. And if you're not dropping all the F-bombs and everything, I don't think really give a shit. Uh, yeah. If you want to, did, did you want me to fill you in on the whole Leah Betts story? Go with it. All right. Well, Leah Betts was this eighteen-year-old girl who uh, basically took a uh, took a very bad batch of ecstasy one time on a night out, and I can't remember. It was, I think, it was circa '96 or something like that, or was something mid '90s. Anyway, uh, anyway, she basically OD'd on some very, very bad batch of um. XC, not helped by the fact she was drinking so much she drowned her lungs out uh, and died. And as a result, she became, basically became a, a poster child for the anti-drug, uh, the anti-drug movement, the uh, proper anti-drug, the war on drugs propaganda, and uh, you know obviously probably did more to fuel the fire of the anti-rave scene crusaders than anything else. Yeah, that is a very unfortunate story there. I could see how um, in many publications, I'm sure even The Guardian, they probably found a way to put it down on, oh, it's the youth of today, the Gen X, because at that time, most of it was Gen X people. It, it was to Gen raise, X, yeah. Um, yeah, they promote all the drug use and... Um, what, what's the word? I'm trying to think of the vice of it all. So therefore, we've got to crack all down right. on it. And uh, eventually, I believe it was 91 or 94... Um, that they would superimpose the Criminal Justice Bill and Order Act um, in Parliament um, to try to ensure a lot less of this sort of happens. But what it done was it made um, people trying to promote raves and whatnot a little harder to try to get their gigs across. But they're still trying to find ways to set it up illegally over in parks. I grew up in Essex and Hertfordshire. You certainly would pick up on a lot of sort of things like that happening. Not to say that I didn't know people who went to such raves and um, illegal parties, impromptu, whatnot, but um, you definitely got a feel for the music. One of my neighbours, when I lived over in, um, not too far away from Grays and Thurick, was uh, a person like that, went to quite a lot of raves herself. She always passed me some of her remix CDs or bootleg tapes that she would have. And I enjoy every moment of it. Well... Is that kind of shit that is what it's all about at the end of the day? And while we're talking about music, do you know Chumba Wumba? I'll get knocked down. I'll get knocked out. I don't know. I'll get rid of gap. Well, well, they're very yeah. political, or at least they say they are. No, they're very, very political. But uh, they responded to the whole uh, aftermath, the reaction to Leah Betts' uh, death and how it was used to like as a um, fuel the anti-drug campaign. And basically, they said their own part of saying, distorted, you're as likely to die from eating a bay leaf as from an ecstasy tablet. So I mean, yeah, just that's a little tidbit to add in. Just thought I'd um, I would uh, add because of course we're talking about music, aren't we? 
Oh, yes, of course. This is certainly a lot more of an open airscape as far as subject matter is concerned, because music, you can talk about album covers, um, the songs in question, or even sampling and whatnot. I know I'm sort of bringing too much topics into the mix right here, but I know when we were saying sampling, that also got a lot of controversy as well. You know, the Verve had to pay out Rolling Stones for trying to use the, the uh, violin orchestra bit for Spurs Sweet Symphony, and then um, Robin Thicke and Katy Perry have gone into court because of misuse of samplings or not giving credit to the people who actually made that particular tune or it sounded a little too much like a particular song that was made before that. I don't know if it's related to censorship or whatnot, but it is related to the gray sphere of legality. Yeah, I wouldn't and more attitudes. To be fair, I mean, we, we've mentioned it said it once and it's been mentioned and it does bear repeating, of course. It's only really... Se- it's only censorship when the government or the laws prevent um, uh, or stopping something from being shown or stopping something um, being uh, broadcast or anything. If, you know, I mean, free speech and everything and censorship, it implies that the government can't crack down on this sort of stuff. And it does bear repeating that because a lot of people scream censorship and free speech when it's just like a private company has refused to air their views or refused to platform them and just, uh, it's not. I mean, that has to be that distinction has to be made, otherwise people are just going to distort everything. Well, of course. Well, I mean, if you think about that, going on a slightly different topic, um, Ofcom is quite stringent in regards to uh, what you can or cannot say. Uh, you have to do provide equal time, or at least the ruling still stands for different sides of opinion being um, registered and provoked, and it cannot be. Um, if it's a political broadcast um, and advertising, it is restricted. It's not like in the States where you can just air it every five minutes. It's heavily regulated. And you also must provide at least equal time to Labour and Tory, Lib Dem, UKIP, whatnot supporters. Um, that rule does not necessarily apply. But getting off topic there, um, like you said about the legality of music and whatnot, um, it does go back to probably one of the greatest cases I am aware of in recent music history is one of the greatest Christmas songs ever made in the United Kingdom by an Irish band made by a foul drunkard. And there's a particular lyric that we all know and love. Where Wait, begins, we're talking about Pogues here. Oh, yes. You scumbag, Very you maggot, you cheap, you lousy. Cheap, lousy. Mm. Yeah, we won't say Happy it, Christmas, you ask. Thank God it's our last. Yeah. The word, of course, can be used to describe a certain meatball that's eaten in the UK. Oh, right there. Um, I know it's Pride Month, so you know, I have to be a little bit careful why I use... Oh, um... not, don't, obviously, we're not going to say it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but um, again, though, it's not so much like the legal law has, for, has uh, forbade them from saying it. I think the folks themselves don't want to say it anyway either because they feel that it is problematic. Exactly. Um, I, I personally, when I first heard that song, I didn't pick up that it was a um, foul slur, um, as well as the other swear words that they use, like arse and slut, junk and whatnot. Um, it was only a little later in my life that I start realising, OK, um, yeah, that's probably not the best word to say in front of people of the uh, um, queer or LGBT persuasion. But, you know, it's a song that I love near and dearly, and it makes me cry. I, I cannot even listen to that song without tearing up. I don't know what's your experience with that tune growing up. Did you hear it uncut, or was it um, Oh, no, no. No, I've heard it uncut and everything. I mean, 
I suppose when it's Christmas time and it's the tis the season, it's a nice uh, seasonal jingle to hear and everything, as every other Christmas song is that you hear for like umpteen fucking times throughout that December period. Uh, fortunately, we're in June, so we've got a good six months left to start hearing all that stuff again. Exactly. I bet you they won't even play it because of uh, political correctness and whatnot. Or they'll oh, at least they... just play like, an instrumental version. They'll, they'll, they'll play it. They'll just they'll just uh, cut that bit out. They, they always play that. They, they never miss a chance. And, well, you know, that's their decision, I suppose. It's still a great tune whatnot. I mean, I like it more yeah. so than Slade's. Uh, Merry Christmas song, except for I prefer the... the wizard one. Okay. No, I've uh, always preferred the wizard song to the uh, Slade song. I don't know why, I've just got a better rhythm to better rhythm and melody to it. Right there. What about that Paul McCartney wings one? The sun is out, the moon oh, is God. out. Oh, bollocks to that one. Yeah, tonight. <laughs> hey, I think we're getting off topic anyway. Well, well, actually, it does come back to my, because we just said, Paul McCartney and the Beatles, Liverpool, it's right over there, but ain't that mold. They got in quite a bit of trouble, particularly... Um... Bigger than Jesus. Oh, yes, that whole controversy to where it inspired someone to assassinate John Lennon, of all things. And then that one music album cover that they got in the trouble for that um, never was really printed after the fact. It was like, yeah, yesterday and forever. I can't quite remember the, the title's name, but it had Dead Babies. Put it on oh, the album cover. Plus, of course, there's a song "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds." Oh, well, I think that one's pretty obvious. If you, um, well, that's a thing though. John Lennon abbreviate it. <laughs> I, we, I think we've never read. I know everyone said, "Oh, it's played by LSD, isn't it?" So, no, it's just about a girl called Lucy and the Sky with Diamonds. I mean, he may just be saying that, just to, may be saying that to cover himself, but no, it's probably very likely. I mean, he just was. That's what he's writing about a girl called Lucy in. His son was talking about a girl called Lucy based on Sky of Diamonds, and everyone just inferred about it, which can say a lot more about society than it does about any of the artists. Well, I mean, some people will really interpret songs with certain meanings that they actually weren't intended to even make. Like um, Tim Gore. Exactly. I mean, if she thought that was what uh, the Twisted Sister song was about, I hope to God what she wanted about Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. But because... Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer, which is a song which is essentially about Peter Gabriel's penis and how hard it gets and how he can fuck a machine. They didn't view it that way because it has colourful Ardman animation and it also has animation from Buffer's Quay music video and it's he's a white musician and it's pop. So oh. they didn't want to target as much as a metal or hip-hop musician. Well, while I've suddenly had a reminder of something, it just suddenly came to my mind. Uh... U.S. presidential hopeful from 1996, Bob Dole, a Republican, so you know what kind of, so I think we all know what that is about. Um, he uh, he actually had a gripe against, big gripe against cannabis. I'm not exactly sure what he did, but I think he tried to get uh, do the whole PMRC thing against a death metal band Cannibal Corpse. And um, while their lyrics are extremely violent, I mean, have you heard of Cannibal Corpse? Oh uh, yes, they actually featured on Ace Ventura. Ventura, yeah. Um, that's song... my first uh, foray into them. And yeah, one of the them song... album covers is so graphic, I probably wouldn't even show it in public. It's called Tomb of the Mutilated. Yeah, it's that song they played it's the opening track from that album called Hammer Smashed Face. Basically, their song just covers what you expect to hear in horror splatter movies. And um, obviously you don't take it particularly seriously or anything. But that's the thing, though. I mean, 
George Fisher, who is a well, now the singer of a band, it was Chris Barnes, and specifically said when addressing the issue, it was like, like you don't take this shit seriously. I mean, especially when you look at like the Vatican and everything. I mean, there's loads of like graphic violence art there, and it um that was like based on real life. But that's considered art. This cheesy stuff, which is considered entertainment, is like, oh, that's what gives a sense of knickers in a twist. Well, if they find ways to target certain particular songs and artists, mainly because there's a sense that amongst the elites, I know I'm sounding a bit like a Trump supporting in this regards, they assume that in the case of metal music, it appeals to the lower classes or to the people who have barbaric or sort of primal sympathies, which in turn means they're going to shoot up a school. Ava tried yeah. doing this with the whole Columbine thing, where they tried targeting Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Manson and whatnot. I was going to get, we always, I was going to bring that up a bit later on, but I thought we'd get through. Uh, but yeah, carry on. And then also Judas Priest. Um, there was quite a bit of controversy oh. about that. This is for my mother's generation. My uh, uncle, God bless his soul, he passed away. Um, had oh. the stained class record, but he never was warped by the devil and said, "Have rough, 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 rough." Kill your parents. That subliminal messaging that one might have heard that inspired him to um, commit suicide or do some violent acts. Yeah, they they were they were sued because two uh, two of their fans listened to a song of theirs. It wasn't a song that they'd written actually. It was a cover of a song called "Better by You, Better by Me." I can't remember who originally sang it or anything. I could probably just Wikipedia it, but I can't be fucked right now. Anyone in the comments wants to just say who sang the original song, go right ahead. But no, I mean, yeah, I mean, a band tried to prove to like um, that they were the band, sorry, the family, there was, sorry, I'll start again. The uh, family tried to sue them and the prosecution tried to say that they were message, backward messages saying that you, if you, um, play it backwards there were messages telling you to kill yourself and it's like okay first of all and this is what they said at the time being if you play a message backward uh, sorry play a record backwards um enough and tell someone there's like a subliminal message they'll eventually hear it they tried it with the phrase i want a peppermint and eventually the the court heard it and the case was dismissed but um the other thing that um they have a point and just big flaw in the whole case. And it was something a comedian, late, the late comedian Bill Hicks brought up. is like, why in the ever-loving fuck would a band want their audience to kill themselves? <laughs> it's just not really in their, in their interest. It doesn't really do them any benefit. doesn't benefit them in the, in the long term or even the immediate term. I just, you want these people buy your freaking albums are responsible for you getting to for you having a successful career not really gonna do you not much good to you if they're dead oh no because they wouldn't be able to get in ticket sales exactly. um, that's how most fans make their money nowadays is through touring so it, it kind of defeats the purpose but um you, well you know artists like to be a bit clever with their messages and whatnot i think in case of judas they weren't trying to be satirical or anything or trying to actually enforce something. They were just making music because that's how the sound was good. Now, if it was someone like Marilyn Manson, he, he's uh, put politics in his music quite a bit of times to try and make a point. Fight Song, for example, which was in response to a lot of the school shootings 
And uh, you violence that was occurring because he was blamed for Columbine, Clay Bold Harris, and uh, the dissolution of young youth and whatnot. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously he was an easy scapegoat. I mean, uh, Dylan, was it Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris didn't even listen to freaking Marilyn Manson, apparently. And uh, actually, they preferred German bands like Ramstein and KF. KFMDM or KF, oh, fuck it, I can't remember what it is. KFMDM. Course... I, I actually am a big fan of that particular band. You should listen to well, Nile. It's a great out. Industrial. I think I may, I think I may have uh, listened to one or two of their stars, but of course, most people in America hadn't even fucking heard of those bands, so they, they don't get the get the the um they don't get any flack. But oh no, Marilyn Manson does because they are allegedly goths, and basically Marilyn Manson was the most famous goth there was. Oh, he got the flag for it. In fact, I don't know if you've seen Bowling for Columbine. I've seen all of Michael Moore's films. He's one of my yeah. favorite documents. He actually influenced a lot of the work that I actually do. Well, fair, but yeah, I mean, I, I was influenced when I was a bit younger. I've kind of I feel I've outgrown him a little bit. I find his um, uh, I find his views a little reductive and everything. He's like a a poor man's Chomsky, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Anyway, I was watching um. I was watching uh, one of the Columbine and Marilyn Manson's interviewed about the whole the whole thing, and he's just like, "Yeah, Christ, I was just an easy blame, easy target." At the same time that was going on, Clinton was blowing up another country overseas, but he's singing rock and roll songs. And oh, gee, who's a who? He's a bad guy. I mean, and not oh. to mention, of course, a lot of the survivors of um, uh, Columbine they actually did like Marilyn Manson as well as play Doom and do all the things that are blamed. As you can imagine, they were not really too uh, thrilled about having their pl- their pastime being blamed for their, um, uh, well, the ordeal that they had to suffer. Oh, I, I actually get that. I, I mean, people, unfortunately, like to take things out of context a little bit and they will focus on one particular thing and say, this is the reason why people have gone downhill. Even us people on the left, we can be guilty of doing that too. Um, oh, we're, not, we're not infallible, are we? <laughs> no, we're, we're not uh, machines. Or at least we will be when uh, the T-800 machines by Arnold Schwarzenegger comes to the power. But it's not to get off topic there. But uh, yeah... Um, it does make me a little curious there. I, I know for some people listening, it might seem a little bit, they can't relate to it because that's a, that was from the 90s. So if we put it in a 2010s perspective... Oh, no, anyone oh, for, Columbine. Well, if... The 90s, yeah. Well, if we put it through a modern perspective, um, I know a lot of people like to crack down on Childish Gambino. He's a um, rapper. He's done a music video called This Is America, and a yeah. lot of people misinterpreted that one as being some sort of indictment against American uh, society in general with the mass shootings and the racial warfare. Um, I know Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. He's one of my favorites. Um, he good. praised it, but um, many people misinterpreted it. And I think um, some music stations banned it or they aired it after the watershed. Oh, I mean, they always do that. Of course, if we're talking about modern uh, hip-hop um songs that have got a lot of back got a flag and i'm always glad something does because it's just nice because it just makes you think oh cool it's got some dangerous music that montero call me by your name by lil nas x is it the one with the nudity 
in the prison and showers. No, but he goes to hell and he kills Satan. Oh, that one. I'm not really... I don't listen to a lot of uh, UK Top 40 or Billboard 200 these days. Um, it was, it was aired at the Super at the uh, last year at the Super Bowl. That's where it's got so much um, attention. It got so much uproar because ultra-Christian America was just, like, taken aback by it. I mean, I find it a little bit funny that the idea of Satanism was still up-riling pe- people up in this day and age after, like, the, all the 70s and 80s and the faux Satanism of all these metal bands. But, fucking hell, I didn't realise they could still they could still get people... Piss people off that much. I thought it was cool. Oh, I, th- I thought it was uh, something that was more of the 2000s and the 90s that you start seeing a lot of these sort of evangelical right people getting up in arms about a particular work. Um, uh, but I, I'm not surprised there because if you uh, take into context what little Nas X is, he is um, LGBT, he's he is, black, yeah. and That's he is popular about. with the conservative community to some extent because he's done Old Town Road which is popular amongst country fans. Country well, yeah. fans are conservative. So mm-hmm. I guess there was that sort of a schism that they, they quite weren't quite what they were expecting with. Well, they, if they're acting on that, they should talk to Willie Nelson. He's uh, one of the great country musicians, and he was um, a hardline cannabis smoker. Johnny Cash, he supported indigenous rights. His wife was targeted because they assumed that she was a black woman, even though she was Italian, but she had a swarthy complexion. And he got flat for that by the KKK. So who are they to judge? Them country bastards. I don't listen to country music. Well, I, I don't listen to country music. I mean, sure, I'll find some occasional country song that's a toe tapper or something, uh, like that song from No Country for Old Men. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously... We might be a little bit judgmental ourselves because, you know, we talk about how our music is like associated with drugs or gang violence or uh, Satan or whatever. Now we're saying, well, country music is associated with uh, racist Bible thumping yokels and everything. So, I mean, we're no no better angels there. But, you know, I've got American followers on here, so you kind of have to always pin them down because I have to seem like, according to my British friends, if I don't go hard on Americans, they'll give me hell. I was always bullied for being partially American, so I'm trying to up the ante on it and make myself appear more British than I actually am. Well, no you offense. Said, well, is, that, is, that your, um, is that your normal accent that you're speaking with? Yep, that's uh, the way I talk. Um, I'm, I'm not faking it. I mean, I could do an American accent if you want me to, but it sounds a bit forced. Sweet. But yeah, yeah um, you know, I've got to appear more uh, British to my uh, my Anglo friends more than anything. Um, I still speak the accent. I prefer EastEnders over General Hospital. Um, I love Alan Partridge and <laughs> In Betweeners and Chris Morris. But you know, grew up also on Simpsons and Dexter's Lab and Johnny Bravo, and a lot of American movies like Toy Story and Space Jam. So I I I'm kind of have dual loyalty that someone who maybe like you probably doesn't have well who the hell hasn't bloody grown up on freaking american culture i mean it's pretty much become a mono a monoculture thing i mean other con- other rest of the world's cultures are basically struggling to survive or even compete but what have we got that what have we got to compete with hollywood i don't know anyway let's not get 
let's get off topic, but um. But yes, but most of the bands we were talking about on this music podcast were largely American bands. But let's face it, Britain has the monopoly on great music. No, make no mistake. And um, even on the MTV side of things, they certainly do. Um, I remember, well, actually, I'll get on the topic of album covers. What was your experience with them? Were there any ones that scared you or aroused you or confused um, you for the controversy? Because when I was growing well, up, I mean, um, there there's an album cover that was from Aphex Twin called Richard D. James. It was never, you know, controversial. They didn't ban it or anything, but it scared me. When I was at HMV looking at it, I, I, my heart stopped, and I wanted to see, you know, the other dance music albums. It's uh, that Richard D. James one because this evil grin terrified me. I mean, sorry, which, which one did you say again? Aphex Twins' Richard D. James album. That one frightened me when I was a young man. They never banned it or anything, but it did freak me out. And then um, I was always perplexed that some of the album covers at HMV, some of them would have a uh, you know, full nudity on them. Like there was one from Black Strobe. And I think I even saw the Yoko Ono John Lennon CD where they're completely bare. That caused a shitstorm to where certain um, sellers, at least in America, would not show the album in its uncut form. They would put black tape. Oh yeah, it's the same with a band called Carcass. Um, they were a uh, well, a death metal grindcore band. Grindcore is like another version, extreme form of metal or punk music. It's kind of like death metal, only nowhere near as musically good. And uh, one of their um, early uh, albums, which was given, which went under the subgenre of gore grind. Which, uh, don't ask her. I, I can't even begin to start that shit. Um, yeah, they, they they will not show the the colors. It's unlike the Cannibal Corpse ones, which are very comic book in nature. It was far more uh, far more realistic. In fact, there's always one big um meme that's been going around the internet and everything. They'll take a um they'll show you the cover of a Cannibal Corpse uh, album, just about any of them, and that has a parental advisory sticker in it. Just like. Well, I'm so glad it's got a parental advisory sticker on, because I would never have guessed it's inappropriate. Well, you can't put two and two together to realize, in the case of Tomb of the Mutilated, that there's a graphic sex act that's going on involving um, mutilated corpses. Um, you have to be pretty uh, satanic to think that's not offensive in some level. Would well, you yeah, show but... that to a five-year-old? It would give them nightmares. Well, I wouldn't show it, no, but I think we could. I think, I think we could do some of that, Mark. That um, the album is going to contain some not some not kid friendly material, and then you could turn it around and look at the names of this album of songs. The first two are called "Hammer Smashed Face" and then "I Come Blood," and there's another one at the end which is called "Entrails Ripped from a Virgin's Cunt." So, um, yeah, that's oh, pretty ballsy. Yeah. It's all done there to push buttons. I mean, you can tell the the members were just pissing themselves laughing because, you know, you, it depends how seriously you take it. And I oh, yeah, don't take it seriously. It's far too ridiculous to be taken seriously. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of uh, albums that have uh, rubbed people the wrong way. I mean, obviously, when I was younger and I first saw Cannibal Corpse uh, album covers, well, just the name Cannibal Corpse. I mean, oh, I always... 
rubbed me the wrong way a bit. It wasn't until I was 23 I started listening to them. Uh, I remember my brother had a Cypress Hill poster in his room, which showed a bunch of uh, skeletons smoking weed and everything. <laughs> and, um, oh yeah, looking back at it now, it looks cool as fuck and everything, if not a little bit cheesy. When I was a kid, I always found it a little bit... Um, on the nose, but my brother is seven years older than me. He would have been like 13, 14, about six or seven. So obviously my mind couldn't really process what I was saying. Not to mention once I saw this um, album to an, a cover to an Iron Maiden album. Uh, I can't remember, can't remember which one, what it was called now, but it had one of the most fucked up um, images on it. Uh, I'm just going to quickly see if I can Wikipedia it right now. Iron Maiden discography. So those were your experiences with uh, album covers and whatnot. Because oh, it sounds yeah. like your experience was a lot more wild than mine. I mean, the most edgy thing I ever saw was, um, well, accidentally, someone had a copy of uh, Bow Wow Wow. It was like a new wave group. And it depicted like a 40-year-old that was naked. Made me uncomfortable knowing that was what it was. I told him, dispose of that, or otherwise I'll call the 999 on you. And then uh, Dr. Dre's Chronic, which depicted a cannabis leaf. I didn't know certainly what the hell marijuana or cannabis was, but until later in my life, I thought, oh, I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand what was all the, I'm promoting them every day, getting high on the 420 and the OG and the cash. And to this day, I don't, I don't even smoke this stuff, but I know almost everyone who does, oh, yeah. even people who's right wing. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's not controversial to be smoking weed nowadays. I mean, I mean, if the state you're in, has it legalized it yet? In my time in America, California has legalized it recreationally since 2016. It's legalized it for medicinal use since 96. Is that where you are? I don't tell people where I'm located, but at least in my time in California, yes. Um, when I was there, it was legal. I know. Yeah, you have to be 21. To go... Yeah, that's cool. I mean, part of me wants to go back to America or one of those um, states or just go to Canada where it's fully legalized just to get just so I can get stoned. It's going to be like even better than going to Netherlands. By the way, the Iron Maiden album is called The X Factor. And um, how appropriate. Uh, There's a stupid bloody music show. Of the same name, except this, this, <laughs> this from '95. Um, yeah, but uh, what was I? Um, what was I going to blaze say? But you know, you talk about Dr. Dre, and of course, you know, I mean, part of what's known as gangster rap, which has always rubbed the uh, rubbed the senses the wrong way. Of course, Dr. Dre was from N.W.A. and N.W. the FBI actually tried to get N.W.A. to like stop performing. Nope, you're right, because um, of their anti-police and uh, sort of almost black nationalist lyrics. They thought Which, by the way, going to treat young people to promote these sort of left-leaning causes. Even though Ice Cube isn't that left-leaning, he actually is kind of friends with Trump. Yeah. So that's okay. funny. Oh, yeah, well, um, well, that's uh, very much, that's obviously, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's quite cringe when he's actually done that. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Was back then, yeah, and the the lyrics of "fuck the police" have really stood the test of time. Now that I think about it, I mean, yes. what's been going on from Rodney King to George Floyd and um, Tamir Rice, 
and many other names still, even to this day, um, the message is still quite potent. And um, there will be stations, I'm sure probably even in the UK, that will boulderize the lyrics or perhaps not even play it to begin with because it's so vulgar or it's too political. They'll say it's too woke nowadays instead of saying, oh, it's too vulgar, we can't air an episode of time. Uh, I know Cop Killer is a song that comes to mind that no one oh, yeah, dared play. Oh, with, yeah, I mean, um, that's be- yeah, by Ice-T, that got basically just, yeah, banned from radio. Well, I say banned. Basically, no radios would really play it and everything. So, I mean, yeah. They um, helped sell his Body Count uh, album, which is his uh, metal thrash side of things. Because most people think he's rap, but he's actually done thrash. In oh, his totally, yeah, I'm aware about this. He worked with suicidal tendencies and anthrax, just like Public Enemy. But yes. Um, that, that got a shitstorm. They um, still threatened litigation against him. And I think the album that he made after that called Home Invasion, um, it didn't sell as much because of all the stigma surrounding it. And let's not forget Two Life Crew, done as nasty as they want to be. That caused a shitstorm to where they put them in court. They won eventually, but they never really succeeded since then because it was... Uh, well, Camp Florida wanted to stop as nasty as they want to be from playing at music stores. Because of uh, lyrics ain't me so horny or I'm gonna fuck you so right up. Um, sex explicit at best. Well, exactly. And of course, I mean, we talked about our uh, NWA and of course Dr. Dre was part of them. But of course, Dr. Dre was a person who paved way for Eminem. And of course, we mentioned Marilyn Manson earlier on. And of course, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, around the turn of the millennium, basically, it's those two, Marilyn Manson and Eminem, who were the two like, public enemies number one, who were just, every last moral guardian was just having, was just get, throwing an absolute shit fit over them. I think over here is more Eminem and everything. I remember one of the, um, my teachers at school told one of my friends he was not to have a uh, Marshall Mathers LP CD in school. So, um, just because I, I can't remember it's because of its the language or because of like what it might promote or anything, but yeah, and of course Eminem just raked in the album sales because he got all this free publicity of all these twats just throwing a hissy fit about it. No, you're absolutely right. I was there just like you. Um, a lot of my mates were into Eminem. Um, one could argue they were trying to be some sort of so if this is offensive, a white guy trying to think he's black, or what they call a, a wigger. Um, but I, I thought it was funny, his little shtick that he was doing, say with Fred Durst, and, and they was uh, even play Eight Mile when that film came out. I was on the bus. I was, you know, go to like secondary or whatnot, and they kept playing that particular... Lose yourself, as a man, man, man. You want to have a chance to blow because that Tony comes once in a lifetime. No better, lose yourself. And they kept playing that song. And I don't think they even sensed any of the lyrics because they were so obsessed with, you know, this blow mm-hmm. and whatnot. It seems like your, your, we had it easier than your school did, which is quite surprising. My, one of the schools I went to, one of the kids bought Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. And they slapped a twelve on the on the video game, and uh, they only did got into trouble ultimately when they started hearing f bombs and seeing blood um, being played on the projector screen when they're playing Grafitola San Andreas on Xbox. I couldn't believe my own eyes that happened. 
well, we could, well, we could do a whole bloody episode just on freaking video games. If we talk about censorship, I mean, what gets more freaking flack now? It's not films or um, uh, freaking music. That's so 20th century. It's all the bloody video games now that get the they get the old boomers' knickers in a twist, and basically get them like riled up. And of course, it just makes you want it. But we'll we'll talk about we can talk about it in another podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, right, I can't remember what point I was going to try and make and everything. But uh, yeah, and of course, all they ever did was, I mean, the Moral Guardians never seem to realize every time they make a pissy piss fit about something i don't know if that's a word i even just said there um about something every time they try to get something banned every time they you know get outraged all they do is make people get more garner more interest into it it's the same with films music video games books comics tv shows i mean it's and radio personalities like joe rogan and steve crowder well well there's that as well i mean one of the most one of the oldest forms of um, uh, this happening was with Alice Cooper, Mary Whitehouse. He came, he came to play over in the UK and Mary Whitehouse basically got his freaking, his show banned and everything due to the violent, cons, violent uh, content. As a result, schools out shot straight to number one over here. So much so that... Um, Alice Cooper sent Mary Whitehouse flowers because, uh, in as a in gratitude for him, him her getting him to number one. Uh, actually, that is quite a hilarious irony. For all of her um, Christian Festival of Light bashing, she actually helped him implicitly, even though she probably didn't know that he, um, she was helping him as far as sales were concerned. So um, I guess you think- you're absolutely right. I mean, you'd think in the fifty. Well, sorry, uh, I'll I'll let you around. I just want to say you'd think in the fifty-plus years they might have fucking learnt something by now, but they never do. No, I'm afraid not. It's usually the artists that don't do as well, um, or the ones that, um, you know, they play it safe. You know, they play A B C, then A B C, the whole general chorus safe lyrics about love or you know dancing in the flowers and then they disappear it's usually the ones that tend to be the most controversial that tend to stay with you i mean i could remember prodigy's Firestarter. now not certainly not as controversial smack my bitch up but i know a lot of people with children they were presumed to be scared by that music video of keith flint dancing around with a um, red white and blue american t-shirt or something um using that saw and jumping around and it was dark and it had a moody atmosphere and then the Daily Mail go on an uproar about it but it's a song that keeps playing over and over and they, the music video is certainly well known at least in my time when I saw it on MTV2 and Kerrang! and MTV Dance but uh, yes um, it's funny how uh, people perceive things and then you know on, up- Not a, uh, on a subject of uh, controversy and how it drives up sales I don't think it's as big a surprise that around the end of the 80s, turn of the 90s, the biggest selling rock and rock band, hard rock band, were also the most controversial one, Guns N' Roses. Well, of course, um, you know, they also had the killer sounds, 
but they also oh, yeah. you know, well, a bit outrageous in their own right. Um, the one, well, I don't, I don't see them as controversial, really, because I well, keep a sweet child on mine. And then, but I, I think Mr. Brownstone is the one you're referring to because they have well, the uh, heroin reference. Well, it's, well, there's that, and, and there's a lot of swearing on that uh, after destruction album for the time. So that obviously got some attention. But yeah, they were renowned for their rock and roll antics. They did an unbelievable amount of drugs. Uh, Axel, not so much, but Steve Adler, their first drummer, did so much, so many drugs, so much heroin, they had to kick him out of the sodding band. And it's like, if if you're getting kicked out of, if they had to kick him out of band for his drug abuse, but Slash got to stay, flipping heck, he must have done something. He must have been pretty bad. But um, and of course, there's Axel storming off stage, or refusing to turn up and causing riots, and that was just. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, it's funny. I mean, I remember seeing him at Download 06, and I, at one point, Axel like uh, went off stage for a bit, saying we're going to have a little break. And of course, he was off stage for quite some time, and we just thought, oh god, he has just stormed off stage in front of ninety thousand <laughs> people who are all sitting in the sweltering sun, getting pissed up, just waiting to see Axel Rose. They're going to fucking riot. They didn't. Thank God, he got back on stage actually, and dragged out a two and a half hour concert which really wasn't that good um uh but um all in all though yeah but considering axel's like personality i mean sometimes you went to a guns N' roses concert you're almost like just spilling a roulette wheel to see if a he would actually turn up and if he did turn up would he actually stay there for duration and would you get to leave in one fucking piece either not in a stretcher or not in a bloody cop car okay I didn't know Axel Rose was that one. All I know is that he'd done that song My World from Usual Illusion 2. And he'd done it while high on Magic Mushrooms. And the, the people say that's the worst Guns N' Roses song ever made. I, I think it's the best because it has an industrial Nine Inch Nails Bjork cypher sound to it. Sorry, which song do you say again? My World. It's on Usual Illusion 2. Yeah, I know, I know too. Uh, that's not right. So obviously, my personal favorite is "You Could Be Mine." That's actually my favorite song ever, and not just because it was um, attached to Terminator Two. I just think it was a damn great song and everything. But um, that's probably the song that made me fall in love, not just with Guns and Roses, but with hard rock and heavy metal in general. Hey, more power to you. Um, yeah, I, I like some of their songs as well, but I didn't have quite the attachment to them as far as like what I would call Kerrang! music, like I did with Faith No More, which kind of came out around the same time. Um, they were more sort of the alternative side, because they'd done Epic and Fallen to Pieces. Oh, they're in alt rock, rock, alt Yeah, alt-rock, alt-metal. God, that doesn't sound good when you say alt, followed by an R word nowadays. But um, but yeah, I mean, they, it's in, they were a bit derivative of Chili Peppers, but yeah, I mean... Faith No More are good. The song Epic's great. They've done some other good songs. Well, the song, the album, The Real Thing, Mate Nine, that's a damn good album. Everyone says it's about Angel Dust, but no, it's about fucking The Real Thing. Well, I mean, I've sampled out songs from both Real Thing and Angel Dust and even King for a Day 4 for a Lifetime on my actual music myself. That's how influential they are to me. Also, because Mike Patton... I wish I could be him in real life as far as um, sex appeal is concerned because women seem to moon all over him with his uh, almost Gomez from Adam's family type of ways. But <laughs> uh, well, that's just me getting off topic there. Um, but most of the music I grew up, because I know you talk about your favourite song, 
anyone who's asked what my favorite song is, um, actually don't have one. Um, but if I had to throw in the towel or something, you know, one of the first songs I ever liked when I was growing up was uh, Future Sound of London's Papua New Guinea. And then I also like a lot of Bjork, uh, particularly Venus as a Boy. It's oh so quiet. And I think Army of Me, you know, that was one of the early stuff. And then also um, the first album I ever owned was actually a parental advisory album, but my parents allowed me to bought it and they didn't even check my ID. And this was back in Lakeside, in, in Thurrock, Essex. It was the Gorillaz debut. Oh, that's a, oh, that's a, a cooler. That's a song, that's the one that Clint Eastwood on, isn't it? Yep, that's the one. Um, that, it's an that, album. That is, that is a good song. I will... I will defend that. I will attest to that. I will defend that song with death. That is a that is a banger. It, it certainly is. There, that was. You know, I can't listen to that album otherwise I start crying. It's just like Toy Story because it makes me nostalgic. Because um, that one, alongside Eminem's music classics, were the first two albums I ever bought with my pocket change. Because um, most of the songs that I listened to prior to that were mostly you know, stuff I saw on MTV or you know through the tapes that my father had. Because I grew up on a lot of sort of new wave and post punk stuff and. Acid House and Raven, Jungle and House. That, those were my jams. Um, now, I know those sort of genres don't really create the kind of controversy that an otherwise a metal or hip-hop record would. But I remember the first controversial... Acid House does. Well... It's uh, called Acid House. I mean, <laughs> flipping heck. I mean, it's going to... In fact, it came from a second Summer of Love, which is kind of fitting because the first Summer of Love featured a lot of acid rock. So I just... I think everything falls into another. We could, they, we need a, we need a third summer of love with acid something else. I doubt uh, it would happen because of COVID, and also most people like to be on their phones all the time. No one wants to meet each other anymore, and because of AIDS, people are freaked out about having free sex and whatnot. They would just rather masturbate. That was back the hentai. That was back, <laughs> that was back in the eighties as well. I mean, when the second summer of love, come on, hell, the eighties was like shit scared of AIDS. That's kind of probably one time where it's not that great time to be nostalgic for what everyone makes it out to be. No, no, <laughs> you're it. absolutely right. But here's the thing. There's actually a report about it. You know, all these uh, uproarious music, Nicki Minaj saying, you know, look at my butt, my anaconda don't. Gen Z people have less sex than millennials and Gen X. Yeah, they also have to do less drugs. Which is just ironic, considering how much less militant and overzealous we are in opposing them drugs nowadays. They're even less likely to be alcohol consumers. How can you believe that for a generation that's uh, supposedly so woke and so left-wing? They're not really that left-wing, or at least they seem like the the generation of we don't want to take too much risk. Is I'll put it that way, because um, well, well, one uh, one could say because I mean. Uh, the Victorians have a reputation for them being quite uh, puritanical and everything, but before them, the Georgians, Edwardians, I don't fucking know, um, were absolute libertines who just, hedonists, who just got fucked up left, right and centre on, well, everything, and were just boning and shagging and left, right and centre. So the Victorians probably grew up looking at that and were disgusted, so that's probably why they got like that. I reckon Gen Z are probably looking at Millennials and Gen X and thinking the same, they, especially Gen X, because they almost drugged up generation, hedonistic generation on record. Well, they I brought mean, Nirvana to them. That's why. Well, yeah, and they listened to Guns N' Roses, and they listened to all that freaking happy hardcore shit. I mean, it's just drugs, drugs, drugs. 
So, um, yeah, maybe the uh, younger <laughs> generation just got a little bit disgusted watching the older generations acting like a bunch of pissed up slags and don't want to actually uh, emulate that anymore. No, you're probably right to some extent. Even, you know, I'm a 90s born millennial and I, I'm still quite cautious about doing things. I've told you publicly on here, I don't really drink that much. I don't use tobacco or cannabis. I don't do hard drugs. I get my high from the, the, the sounds. That, that's how I, I, I thrive on things. I don't know about you. You're a little older than me and also like you're a little bit more millennial. flexible. No, I mean, the, the rock and roll lifestyle is pretty much uh, sex and drugs and obviously rock and roll. You know, well, they yeah. made a movie about Ian Dury and that's what the title was about. I know we talked about Ian Dury on a, a Lover podcast. He got on a, a shitstorm for making Spasticus Autisticus. They banned it on BBC and whatnot because it made light of uh, people with a certain disability and whatnot. But um, well, well, speaking about that, on a more sort of lighthearted level, I know you said the most disturbing album cover for you was like something from Carcass. What's the most sexiest album cover that you can think of? I, uh, well, there was one of the... I, can't, I think it was Enema of a State by Blink-182. And uh, they've got that, well, a famous porn star out of there dressed up in a sexy nurse outfit. And that was a, oh, that was always quite um, nice to look at. Then again, a lot of those teen pop uh, artists back then always had their rather, you know, sensual and sexy looking um, uh, art codes, you know, like Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera. I mean... It is really disturbing how much they sexualized Britney Spears early on, considering she was only 17. And um, Exactly. The, um, I found that quite creepy myself. But I, I hate her music. I hate Christina. I hate S Club and Spice Girls. Well, join the, um, join the club, dude. I mean, I'm not going to lie. When I was 12, I was actually a big fan of the Spice Girls. And um, because that's just sort of a thing I was like. Mostly because I fancied the fuck out of women and everything. But... Um, I was going through that. Uh, well, if it's Posh Spice you're referring to, then I, I won't hold it against you. If it's Posh no, Spice. Gin- Ginger Spice, it was my favourite. Okay, well, is that Jerry Halliwell, not uh, yeah. Victoria Beckham? There's Jerry Halliwell. Okay. Yeah. But we also noticed, though, because she had massive tits. But um, let's not go there because it's probably a little bit sexist. But um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, most grown men, you know, really detest twee pop music and everything i mean it's something you grow out of the time you start going through puberty and you start getting into the edgier stuff and we start um hating on it more or more because it's popular with teenage girls and anything that's popular with teenage girls is automatically lame by default because we live in a very ageist and sexist society oh you're so, absolutely right i mean spice girls will never be held up in the same sort of camp as rolling stones or the beatles even though many people do hold Spice World, the movie, and that... i tell you what I want, what I really, really want. i tell you what I want. What I want to a high regard there. I hated that song. I, I couldn't stand people trying to dress up as Mel B or Jelly Harrywell, but I know it's very nostalgic for a certain group of British millennials like us to remember that song and that film when it came out. But, um, oh, totally. totally. Uh, I mean, and although... For us over in Britain, uh, but they didn't really take off so well in America. The arrival girl group came a year later called All Saints. And um, yeah, they, they're a bit more sort of quote unquote down to earth and everything. They didn't dress up and everything. They had a more of an R&B or soul sound to them. And uh, oh God. Well, they've had one of their songs on the beach. 
Uh, that's yeah. a movie that us, you know, older millennials and Gen X love the beach. I saw it a little quite late in my life, but I love the soundtrack. Danny Boy of Train Spotting, he has, certainly has a good ear for music, so I'm not one to judge there. Speaking of yeah, Danny so- Boyle and Train Spotting, Underworld's Born Slippy. You can't go wrong. Well, uh, well, yeah, uh, Born Slippy. I don't know if I know that one too much. Um, just trying to think what else we are other topics are to cover, really. Because if we wanted to go back, talk about the uh, censorship or attempts to censorship of, um, of music, you can't really, I mean, you probably just have to, could go back to the 1950s when it rock and roll first started and how the uh, very right-wing American Christian just hated it because it was because of the devil's music and, of course, influenced by black culture, which Elvis was appropriating. So, of course, that got the uh, old um, greatest generation types uh, in a tizzy and everything. Uh, Oh, no, you're absolutely right. Well, they're going to do an Elvis film um, in a few weeks, and they're probably going to reference the whole jar road and lamps. Thank you very much. Oh, my blue shoes. Uh, anytime I do Elvis, it sounds like Johnny Bravo. I don't know why, but yeah, he certainly got a lot of flack for doing that. And you know, in later perspectives, because we're a little bit more woke now, you know, people say, "Oh, he's culturally appropriating black music," well, but did. you have to take into account in the U.S., it was still very much segregated. And they would get white artists to perform black songs in order to try to sell and make it easier for the audience to appreciate more. Daniel Boone was one of those names. And on, you know, on the other side of the pond, you had Lulu. She would um, cover a few songs here and there that were made by African-Americans to make it more palatable to people from Tupelo or Springfield, Illinois. Hell, even Sacramento, California. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think when uh, you're talking about basically the uh, the Puritan, Purity Squad and the Sense Squad and everything and um, their attempts to stifle music and everything, you can't, it really, I mean, you can't, it doesn't get more extreme than when you went, than going back to the, uh, to the beginning where, uh, well, it's not really beginning because you could go back to God knows what. I mean, you could go back to freaking Cro- uh, Oliver Cromwell's Britain and him basically banning music altogether because the Puritans hated music. But um, obviously, rock and roll, the invention of it in the 1950s, right wing America just hating it and everything, thinking it's devil's music. And it's just sort of spiraled from there. It's all just a rinse and repeat of the same thing and everything. Just that now that films became more controversial and we've got more and more realistic video games the and of course blaming music just become old hat and yeah we've got other things to piss them, to just get a nick just piss their pants over i think more people nowadays are more freaked out by um what a celebrity does online uh, yeah. like will anyway, smith slapping chris rock on the oscars then more yeah. so than um, oh, the Joker is going to start an insult uprising or Charles Gambino mocked America. But um, yeah, for anyone who is curious, um, rock and roll, um, by its uh, innuendo, it does imply people sleeping with one another, like rocking and rolling around the bed. Um, most people tend to forget its actual origins and meaning, but actually that's what it is. 
Um, I know on a certain level, because jazz and bebop and do what was popular there, a lot of people also blame jazz music for the um, cultural miscegenation of the American public. It's promoting oh, all of these jungle bunnies to sleep with white women through their saxophone music and whatnot. It's evil. It's promoting even reefers. Reefers slang for cannabis. Well, yeah, I mean, well, there's that, like, there's some reefer madness that came out around that time. Hmm. Uh, can you still hear me? Oh, yes, absolutely. I just had to have a sip. My, was, my mouth was a bit dry there, but... Um, well, that's fair play. Yeah. Um, the- well, yeah, I mean, and let's face it, there's always... Pro- there may always be some form of music that can um, uh, that can just you know affect the senses, but I think in order to um, keep society progressing forward and keep uh, challenging the uh, perceptions of the human condition, if that makes any sense, there's a, you're going to have to basically be pushing what's uh, the boundaries of what's acceptable to an ex- to an extent, um, especially when I'm music. And there's there's always one sort of saying if if your parents and your teachers and all these squares, as they say, aren't freaking getting outraged by your form of rock and roll and your, your music and everything, your art, are you really doing it right? Um, probably not. Probably not, I would suppose. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, sure, you're always going to have your like middle of the road stuff and everything, but you know, as I think as a uh, as society has to progress and the uh, humanity has to progress, art has to progress, and that's always going to be pushing against um, societal prejudices and norms and everything, and uh, it's going to be controversial. And there's always going to censors, the reactionary censors are going to try to push back, but uh, that's just part and parcel of it. You know? Oh, absolutely. If, um, if they're not cracking down on, you know, left-wing Antifa extremists, they're cracking down on Pussy Riot. They were a Russian punk band that uh, has been blacklisted by Putin for their outspoken lyrics and also sexual content and politics. Um, I know we probably should have talked about them a lot more, um, but that's I mean, as much as we have to say on that matter, um, because right now with the current war in Ukraine, their music is probably much more important now than it ever has been. With everything that that fucking um, Peter the Great S cunt we call Putin, which sounds like a French swear word, Putin, is doing. Well, it sounds like a Canadian dish as well. But I mean, apart else, I mean, Russia is currently in the grips of a very reactionary culture and a very reactionary form of government. So we are kind of lucky in the West that when have a slightly more, well, say slightly, simply more liberal society where you won't just be arrested because you staged a protest in a, in a church. Well, maybe breaking into you might get something, but not like what happened to uh, Pussy Riot. It's certainly, um, they've got a much more bigger fight to fight than we, most of us will in the West. Although under Trump, we probably had some, a lot of people have had some to say. Um, but I think uh, one of the things we um, said, because all the attempts to try and censor music, try to crack down music, they really haven't done it in the same well, or at least gone to the same lengths they have done with film and with uh, video games. Because it's one thing you're lucky for kids growing up buying uh, buying music, 
they don't have to deal with age ratings. Like there's no BBFC or MPAA or PEGI or ESRB for music. There there's is no... an, um, I know on some retailers like in back in the day, like Best Buy and Circuit City in America, they would card you if you're buying parental advisory albums. Walmart wouldn't even carry them. Um, but I, in, in my time growing up in England, I, I was never carded or was told you can't buy this album because it's parental advisory. Because I bought Outcast, Speaker Box of Love Below. I bought Gorillaz, Demon Days, and um, the debut and Tom York's The Erased. They all were albums that had F words or mature content, but no flagging. No HMV or FOP. Virgin Megastore. <laughs> But yeah, you're, you're right. Why would they? Because if they don't, I think because basically legally they don't have to do that because they can say what they want. So they're gonna. I mean, you just profit at the end of the day. The only sort of system that really applies to it where there isn't much in the way of censorship or age restrictions, aside from music, is the theatre. You can well, go and watch and, Titus Andronicus, a play by Shakespeare and, that's very graphic without age restriction. And books and comics. Oh. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, at the same time, why would you want to give a copy of the Elfin Lead manga to a five-year-old? Um, they usually why, carry like an age warning on manga, but yes, most like books, you can get Clockwork Orange. I read that when I was 17 at um, sixth form, and I wasn't bad from reading it. Can you believe that? You can get Clockwork Orange at the library at your sixth form or your secondary school, and not get flagged. That is pretty, uh, that is quite surprising. Then again, I suppose you're 18, they're not going to ask too many questions. Well, I mean, I was 17 at the time, um, so, yeah, it's a bit surprising there, because, you yeah. know, I don't know what it was like at your sixth form, or I didn't go to, I didn't go, I didn't, I didn't go to, I didn't go to sixth form school, I went to a college. Okay, well, did you get? Did you have stuff like Clockwork Orange or American Psycho in your I library? Didn't, I didn't see it. I have to admit. I mean, it may have been there, but I wouldn't have noticed. All right. Just, I was just a little bit curious. That's all. But um, yes, it's certainly um, very weird how they apply for music regulations and censorship. Um, I know in Britain as well, because TV doesn't have any sort of age restrictions or. Um, it's resignations like you get in the States with TV 14 and MA. We do have the watershed. If it airs after 9 or 10 o'clock, that means keep the kids well away. That is um, true. And I remember on MTV, there would be a lot more stuff that was a bit more edgy and whatnot. Um, I know we haven't talked much about music videos on this particular podcast, but there was um, some videos in question, aside from the Prodigy one I keep talking about, that... Um, Definitely spooked me or caught me by surprise. Um, there was one time I was channel surfing, and MTV2 had on a music video where a guy was dancing around and touching his cock and uh, masturbating. And I thought, whoa, 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 I probably shouldn't have been seeing that 13. But um, yeah, it certainly caught me by surprise. And then there well, was some animated music videos that were certainly a lot more raunchy than I was used to including one for Tenacious D, which was involved with the same guy done Ren and Stimpy. And it showed them uh, the devil having sex with a devil girl and um, Jack Black and Carl Gass and Cartoon form, you know, saying, I want to fuck her gently. I want to suck her oh, toes. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that was funny. 
in the yeah. anyhow, I uh, think we've um, covered all that we need to cover, all that we can cover. So, uh, do you want to wrap it up there? Oh yes, um, I think we've said our piece for most of the time right here. I oh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I don't think we're going to be coming up with something new at least for a while, unless you want to talk about superheroes. I, I would be a little bit of an unknown on that one. I mean, I've I thought you about the Incredibles on yeah, that. We could talk about well, thinking video games could be the next one. That could be so. That one you probably have to do with someone else. I'm a little afraid because of, um, you know, I know about SimCity 3000. Most of the games I played were 3, 7, and 12. Or 11 helps. Uh, sorry. No problem. All right. Well, no problem. As well as, okay. Well, well, I'll just keep me posted when you're when you've got another topic to uh, dis- discuss in at length. All right, then the same for you, and uh, hope everyone you know enjoys themselves. Try to stay safe out there, and if you do enjoy Glasto, do check out Sleep and Mods if they are playing. Don't check out on these other bands. I don't like new bands anyways. But uh, and also, I forgot to even say, oh yeah, sexiest album cover ever made is one that's not even erotic. Kate Nash is made of bricks. Okay, that's brilliant. All right, then. Well, till then, peace. Peace.